Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us. This is our these books from not this book. Not this. It better not be. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma, and I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're reading a gripping thriller, The Push, by Ashley Ardrain. Not only did we select this novel for the month of April because it was a GMA book club pick, but it's also very appropriate since I'm expecting. Ah! <laughs> yeah! Ooh, listeners, uh, for the last few months, <laughs> I haven't been very honest with you all. Ooh. Well, my acting came into full gear when I had to sip on my mocktails during our happy hour. Sorry. <laughs> But as you've heard, that hasn't stopped me, and I'm over the moon excited to yell from the rooftops, or at least out of my new 23rd floor apartment, uh. that I am, in fact, pregnant. Yes. <laughs> yes. My heart is beating so fast right now. Aww. This baby girl is going to be so loved, and yes, it's a she, so loved, and she will have two aunties a.k.a. the drunk Diaz, that will adore her like no one else. Brandy, Emma, thank you for being the greatest girlfriends during the initial portion of this lifetime journey. Not only is baby girl Panaro lucky to have you both, but I am the luckiest lady to have you both riding this magical and miraculous roller coaster with me. I hope you both know what your support and love has meant to me, to us. Oh. And since I'm preggers. <laughs> Am I crying? <laughs> and <sighs> yes, since I'm preggers, I will be drinking a lavender lemonade as my mocktail. Ooh, yes. How about that? Sounds good. Right? Head over to Are These Bits Drunk on our Insta page for the full recipe. Now, Dia Emma, what <laughs> cocktail are we enjoying this spring day? Oh, yeah. I love Tia Emma. I would like to only be referred to now as Tia Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Our cocktail is definitely appropriate for the spring day and also very appropriate for this book. Our cocktail pairing for today is called The Violet. It's, yeah! It's really a Violet Spritz, which is an Italian aperitif cocktail, but we changed Ooh. the name. The gorgeous pale purple hues of this drink match the book cover, but Ricardo chose this one to honor our nonverbal, so far, protagonist, Baby Violet. Mm. And, as mentioned, since we have a mommy-to-be in our trio mm. now, we are now going to start offering mocktails for you all, for those of you who can't or don't drink the hard stuff. And as Mariana mentioned, our mocktail pairing for today is a lavender lemonade, so that those of you who are not enjoying our The Violet can be drinking something similar in color. So you can be on the violet train. Here to share the recipe for our beautiful beverage today is our bello bartender, oh, Ricardo. <laughs> Ricardo. Yeah. Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hi. Hi. How are you? Amazing. Good. <laughs> How are you? 
Good, good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Today, my, my segment is going to be super short. Oh. It's not going to be a complicated cocktail at all. And okay. Well, that's just, quite unusual for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's going to be a twist on, a, on something that we did already. Oh. So oh. it's going to be a twist on the Aperol Spritz. And the good thing on twist on Aperol Spritz is that you just substitute Aperol with anything else. Right. And uh, you have a twist on the Aperol Spritz. Love it. <laughs> so you know we the, love our Aperol spritzes. I know, but like I think that uh, <laughs> this cocktail is, is perfect for this book because Ooh. it's called the Violet. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's again a twist on the Aperol spritz, and we just need to substitute the Aperol with the Crème de Violette. So the recipe Ooh. is an ounce and a half of Crème de Violette. And three ounces of Prosecco and a splash of soda water. Ooh. Oh, and nice and bubbly. Yes. Yeah. Over, over ice, we, we strain it, we mix it a little bit with a spoon, and then we garnish with a fresh bunch of mint. And Ooh. we have our cocktail. Did it's, you say we serve over ice? Over ice, yes. Oh, okay. very refreshing. Like, like a spritz. Like yeah. it's this, the, the good thing is it's very... It's perfect for the summer and mm. for the spring in general because of the floral notes. Mm. It's on the sweet side, and I know that you're not, you're sweet women, we're sweet women, but you're not for <laughs> sweet drinks. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's nice. It's definitely probably not your favorite, but it's gonna be something that our listener will appreciate. Guess. Well, we're going to enjoy it, and then you'll have to make it up to us next week. I can, I can do it. I can do it stronger. Just, just pour like tequila in the in the, in the drink. And it, it's perfect. It or just a shot of mezcal on the side, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> we might. Exactly. We might. <laughs> so enjoy your violet, ladies, and a la vostra salute. Gracias, Thank Ricardo. You, Ricardo. Ciao. Bye. 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 All right, chicas. Salute! Yeah. Salute! Mm. 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 Violet. I'm mm. so mm. glad I don't have to lie. <laughs> 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 this is great! <laughs> I'm enjoying this right. lavender lemonade, guys. You have really been acting your way through this I know. last few months, though. I have to give you props so for that. And I've been really dying to taste all of those cocktails that Ricardo has made because oh. they've all sounded very delicious. Well, now you have all the recipes backed up on our Instagram page. Yeah, so you can always right. go back and reference and make all of the ones you missed. <laughs> This drink is a beautiful color. I can't get over the color of it. It's gorgeous. She's it purple. Really gorgeous. She's purple. I don't know that I've ever had a purple drink yeah, before. Yeah, neither have I. You never had a purple people eater? No. Do Me those neither. exist? I think so. <laughs> I've heard of that. It's purple. All right. Well, and well, it's definitely purple? It's purple. All right. I wonder if it has this violet liqueur in it. I think it has to. What else can make a drink this What else color? is that purple? Yeah. True. What are we reading today, Brandy? <laughs> I'm, I love talking alcohol, but I am so excited I'm about this pumped. book. I'm like, I'm ready. I know. I know. Wait, you're pumped? Is that I'm like a mom pumped. pun? 
<laughs> it wasn't, but thank you for calling it out. All right. This week, we're following Blythe as she sits outside her previous husband Fox's house where he enjoys an evening with his new family, his new wife, who I think might be pregnant, their young son, and the daughter that Blythe and Fox share. Blythe takes us through the history of she and Fox meeting in college, their first few years together before the baby, and her struggles post-baby. She doesn't seem to have the same natural instincts other mothers have. Fox seems to sense this about her, and a distance grows between them, especially after he catches her with her headphones in, letting the baby cry and cry so that she can get some work done. The baby's different when Fox is around, happy and pleasant with him, but difficult and exhausting with Blythe. We get a look at her mother, Cecilia's past, and Cecilia's mother, Etta's past. Both women have had difficult lives and faced abuse at the hands of their mothers, and Cecilia eventually left Blythe and her father. Oh. Okay, that's our jumping off point. Before yep. we get into anything deep, I just have to plug that my cousin has, well, three kids, but two of them are named Violet and Sam. Whoa. And we haven't met Sam yet, but that's who's going to be her baby brother. And I was like, oh, I wonder if she's read this book. <laughs> oh, my Interesting God. Interesting and slightly scary. Trippy. <laughs> wow. The first thing I wanted to say was I just want to talk about this little opening prologue from When the Drummers Were Women by Lane Redmond. Is that what you were about to say? No, but yes. <laughs> what a beautiful yeah. way to open this book. And I just want to read this part if just for the listeners who haven't read it yet. Before we were conceived, we existed in part as an egg in our mother's ovary. All the eggs a woman will ever carry form in her ovaries while she is a four-month-old fetus in the womb of her mother. This means our cellular life as an egg begins in the womb of our grandmother. Mm. We vibrate to the rhythms of our mother's blood before she herself is born. Oh, so cool. I know. I've never it's, thought of that. Neither oh have God, I. Well, I've never either. known that. Right. It's really setting up this idea that we are, in a sense, the women who came before us, not just our mothers, mm -hmm. but our grandmothers, too, which, yeah, like you were saying, is just not something I've ever thought about. Like, I've thought about that in the sense of our personalities. You know, we are our personalities of our parent. Well, not our personalities of our parents, but how our parents were raised dictates how they raise us. But right. they behave how they were raised by their parents. So uh, who we are does go back yeah. generations and generations and generations. But to right. think of it as actually physically being part of that is right. so Our makeup. cool. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. I just have to ask, like, right off the bat, Mariana, like, I, now that we thankfully can share the joy and celebration of all of the your pregnancy with everyone, <laughs> we don't have to hide it. I right. was thinking about you this whole time that we were reading this book. Like, Same. I wonder how Mariana is just like yeah. an, can you give us just like an overall reaction to what was going through your brain as we've read what we've read so far? <laughs> Honestly, I am kind of relieved because to our listeners out there, this was kind of my choice. Um, this was my book pick. And the ladies agreed to do this with me because I felt that it would be something appropriate 
not necessarily knowing all the details that we would <laughs> that she would go into and right. things that women really never talk about. I can just relate it to this. I've been dealing with a lot of morning sickness throughout the first few months of my pregnancy. And it's something that is fairly not talked about between women or between mothers because everything is so much about the the beautiful side of pregnancy and becoming a mom and all these expectations that one has. But then it, it's also it would be really enlightening to talk to other women freely about mm. also the not so beautiful things that happen while yeah. a woman is pregnant, the yeah. unknowns, the fears, yeah. the just th- there's so much that goes on, all the overwhelming feelings and emotions that you go through that sometimes you do necessarily feel alone. So I found myself relating to Blythe quite a bit, mm. surprisingly enough, because there was yeah. a lot of like very clear uh, visceral statements that she would make as she was talking to me as if I were Fox, where I was just like, I am so with you right now. I can see where you're Mm -hmm. coming from to obviously to a very like (laughs) uh, crazy place. But there's there's a lot of realness to what she is. She's what she's trying to get across Mm. in relation to like how is our relationship as husband and wife going to change once there's a new person in the mix and really it, just about everything the yeah. relationship of how it's going to change how how she feels normally the things that she wishes she could say to those women when she's walking in the park the the women yeah. that she met in, during her prenatal courses just right. all of that mm-hmm. that and all the the things that we're supposed to feel and that we're supposed to do and then can we really be free of how, with what we really all the feelings that we're supposed to feel and what we're supposed to do, are they really coming from a place like an instinctual place or are they are they coming more from a place of, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to follow through with what everybody else has done and nobody has right. told me otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you're saying really reminds me of that moment that she has when she sees that other mother who's really struggling and tries to befriend her. Right. And that mom is kind of not, having it but it kind of reminds me of what you're saying where you're like why why is no one talking about how terrible the morning sickness is Mm -hmm. like why isn't anybody Mm -hmm. talking about the negative stuff and when she tries to reach out to to one person who she thinks might share that with her they're like nope Nope. not talking about it not doing this yeah i loved that yeah well, good. I'm glad that it didn't make you um, just like super terrified. <laughs> like, I know. I mean, and, and it shouldn't have because there's so much beauty in this book exactly. as well. But I was like, oh, I hope Mariana's like, okay. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And I think I want to talk a little bit more about this later, but I think one area where you're very lucky where I think Blythe uh, could have used more support is you have an awesome mom and yes. an awesome support system right. that's going to be there to help you. This, this little girl is going to be so loved, including both yeah. of you. This little girl yeah. is – if there's any point in time when I would feel that I'm not providing her with enough love, like I know that I have so many people around me that will be yeah. able to say otherwise Help. to her. Yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> so exciting. It's crazy I'm, that we're talking about this. I feel like I'm, I'm in a very surreal place right now because it's it's all it becomes more and more real the more and more that I vocalize yeah, all of yeah. this and that I express myself and and you know it's hard keeping it a secret for a while. 
Of course. And we chose to do so just to make sure everything was okay. But now right. it's it's real. It's re- yeah. All of this is real. Yeah. Ooh. So exciting. I'm going to drink. I'm yeah, cheers drink to, to that. that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's cheers. <laughs> I'm a little dry. <laughs> well, I, I have a question right off the bat in relation oh. to part of your intro, Brandy, because I'm wondering if I completely misunderstood that opening chapter. You just said that we're following Blythe as she sits outside her previous husband Fox's house where he enjoys an evening with his family. Mm-hmm. I thought we were getting Fox's perspective. Oh. Oh. What you're saying now makes sense because she had a manuscript in and the she's car. Seeing her daughter, she's in the car, right. and she's seeing her daughter inside the house. Oh, so that's yeah, she's seeing why. Violet. Okay, see? it's almost like she's speaking to Fox, like what you were saying, Mariana. It's almost like she's speaking to Fox. It's almost like we're reading the manuscript that she wrote to give to him. That's her side of the story mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the story is yet. Right, but it seems to be why he left. Whatever the story is. Oh, he seems because, to have a very different perspective. Yes, because it's everything she wanted to say that she was never able to say face to face, and then she had to write it all down. Right, once he's gone. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Kid. See, mm-hmm. I totally misinterpreted it, and I I should have gone back and read it a few times because I actually was a little confused for a while. Like, whose point of view is this? But because oh, it ends with that sentence, something along the lines of "That's my side of the story." Right. I thought maybe we were just getting a glimpse into his perspective and then that's all we get and i thought that the pregnant belly was her pregnant with sam i thought the girl was violet but i didn't understand okay so that's really interesting the girl is violet right it's violet but she's with another mom exactly okay i need to go back and reread that you thought that the woman went that was looking at at blythe from the window was not Violet with her own daughter? Because I read it as that was her looking at her daughter having been, having grown up a little as bit. Violet. Like a little she's bit. maybe like a teenager or something. Oh, because oh, I, I read it as her being her older. Old. I don't well, know why. Because she sh- says... She says something about her pulling the her hair, and she says it's more it's more woman than girl. So it seems like she's in that age between... Being like a girl and being like she talks about her chest having grown out of the clothes that the other woman bought her a little bit. Like it seems like That's she's in the true. developing. Oh wow! Age. This makes me really want to go back and reread. This yeah, now. same. It was a really ominous beginning. It I was have to yeah. say. in the very first sentence. She says, "Your house glows at night like everything inside is on fire." Mm-hmm. And later, there's more of this fire imagery when she Im- she literally imagines their house catching fire while they sleep at night. And it seems like she does this a lot. Did you guys get that impression? Like, it seems like well, she no, because I here was completely misunderstood about what happened <laughs> altogether. <laughs> It seems like she sits in her car and does this sometimes. Oh, yeah. Like, this is this is definitely not the first time. It's not new. No. 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 Did you ladies have any sense of who this other woman is? <laughs> well, because again, clearly, clearly, clearly I did. did. <laughs> yeah, okay. Neither because of us Because it knew. seems like Blythe knows her, right? There's one little sentence where she says, oh, because I don't think Fox knows yet that the other woman is pregnant. 
Blythe notices that the other right. woman touches her it. stomach right. with when Fox's back is turned and she says, she's going to tell you tomorrow morning. I still know her so well. Mm-hmm. So we know whoever it is that Fox has gone on to marry. She knows. Is someone Blythe knew. And I'm wondering if it's Grace. That friend from college that, remember, there's mention made that Fox was, like, a little bit jealous of their friendship because Grace took time away from him and Blythe, but he still brought them both flowers for Valentine's Uh Day, even Uh though Grace wasn't in a relationship. He was acting like a great boyfriend at that point, being like, well, she's alone. She doesn't have her boyfriend anymore. She can come Mm -hmm. over for dinner every now and again. I'm trying to... You know, acts like the the token boyfriend, pretty much. Exactly. Like the really yeah. good guy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 And Grace is just, she's been slyly brought up a couple of times. And I was like, I bet this slime Interesting. Ball. Yeah. I, I can see that. Ball. I, I shouldn't say right. that. But. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm now done recording this because I'm going to go back and reread that opening <laughs> section. Take two. Bye. <laughs> well, going back to what I just was telling you ladies about things that we're supposed to do and things mm. how we're supposed to feel. Mm. And this is what we've learned or from generations before us or what society has told us. And I feel that one of the biggest themes or questions that I found during reading these first 22 chapters, which by the way, it's my <laughs> and E's favorite number. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God. Right. Is this stigma that all women, mothers to be, mothers that will be, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to feel. And as yeah. we read throughout these beginning chapters, Blythe questions herself time and time again, which therefore I, I feel that ignites her guilt she questions if if, Mm -hmm. in fact she's good enough for fox if she can be a wife the wife he deserves if she is capable of being a mother if she's ultimately capable of being the mother that violet needs now many times throughout my own life i have found myself not doing what i want behaving the way i want or feeling the way i want because of what i said the generations before is preaching to us mm-hmm. and also because of society and because what is actually perceived as the right way to live mm-hmm. now that i'm going to be a mother i hope to feel freely and do what i find is right and i think this is kind of opening up a can of worms because i i want to know if either of you can relate to this are you confronted with ways of being or ways of behaving that contradicted or contradicts your instincts or conflict with how you genuinely feel on a daily basis? All I can say is, oh, my God, yes. (laughs) As I've said so many times on this podcast, I feel like people who listen to us are going to be exhausted of me saying this, but I fight my I fight this battle with myself every single day. Mm. My mom raised me to be a quote unquote good girl, which she did with good intentions, you know, but. I do feel like it very much stunted my inner life and my own Mm. inner instincts. Um, And then, as I've mentioned before, I was in a really long-term relationship before I met Jason, in which from the very beginning, I was extremely clear on exactly three things with this person. I live in New York. I'm working to be an actor. I do not want kids. Mm -hmm. I've never hidden that from anyone. Mm -hmm. And the longer we were in this relationship, the more I noticed him trying to move those lines mm. 
Um, and it would suddenly become like, oh, you know, I could take a full time job and still pursue acting or, oh, we could live in California Mm -hmm. close enough to L.A. so I could drive in for auditions or the worst one, the one that I get from people who really don't even know me when they find out I don't want kids. Oh, someday you'll want kids. Ugh. As you get older, you'll realize you want them. And I've even heard yeah. you guys Ugh. when a woman meets the right man, mm-hmm. she always <laughs> wants to have his mm-hmm. babies. Mm-hmm. Or one time someone said to me, someone who again didn't even know me said to me, "But you seem like you'd be so good at it." And I wanted to laugh and be like, "Why? Right. Because I have a uterus? Right, like right. that doesn't qualify me to be a mom." Anyway, I'm just so grateful that there was something in me that did keep saying, no, I'm going to live my life the way I intended to, because I can see a different life where the good girl in me acquiesced to those demands Mm -hmm. to move my line. And and then I'd be irretrievably far from the life I wanted for myself because I followed what someone else thought. I should do like how horrible and then can you imagine how unhappy you would be at that point in time right yeah and then what do you do there's no there's no going back there's no going back not in a good way no no well I am proud of you for putting your foot down and staying true to who you are and listening to that because you're right that would be a mess and being so clear about it too yeah I'm proud of you for that Oh, thank mm. you. Well, I I agree like wholeheartedly. Holy yes. <laughs> yes. I definitely come what up a against great word. this. Holy. Right? Holy. It is. I know I don't use it enough. <laughs> Mine differ a lot from yours because I actually, you know, I've wanted kids, kids since I was eight. And I've also always been very clear about that. So my the way that I feel this does not show up in the way that you do. But I've been feeling more and more lately in the last couple of years as I've been cultivating more of a focused and quote-unquote spiritual lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Up until the last couple of years, I was a social extrovert butterfly. Mm -hmm. I prided myself on drinking tit-for-tat with the guys, being able to Mm -hmm. hold my own, Mm -hmm. filling up my social calendar. So people came to know me as this fun... I hope anyway. I hope they thought of me as fun. <laughs> Did they really think I, of you as fun? I'm not I sure. Hope so. yeah, I hope so. I think I was fun. <laughs> Do you even have friends? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, so I'm saying they came to know me as the, you know, this this fun, hopefully woman who they could count on always saying yes uh, and being a good time. Mm. So prior to the pandemic when we were all forced inside, I felt like I needed to keep up that appearance and reputation and I would mm. continue to say yes to going out. even when I stopped enjoying drinking as much you know we have Mm. these cocktails and I love this happy hour but like I cannot drink how I used to Mm. yeah um I really just wanted to neither can I Uh, wait right (laughs) (laughs) for different reasons (laughs) sorry Emma no 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 I got both of you I got y'all back don't you worry (laughs) thanks man I know you do so, you know, I would I would say yes when really I, just, I wanted to just go home and take off my bra and cozy up on the couch. <laughs> and then I started to get a lot of backlash for not being fun anymore and being mm. boring. And Really? Yes. From who? Yeah, like from friends and stuff? Yeah. 
I got that all the time. Like, oh, Emma never goes out now. You know, it was really hard to like take that in for a while. Oh, my goodness. But then I started to own that, yes, maybe I was becoming boring and I am a grandma and now I'll like own up to that. But I also was becoming more focused on what I really wanted and needed. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately was just more alone time and introspection and Mm -hmm. less mezcal needs, I'm sorry to say. So now with this newfound lifestyle, when I do have social interactions, this is uh, like another aspect in which I feel this um, need to behave differently than I am. I do. I now feel like there's a lot of falsity in relation to how we all interact mm, with each other. Like, yeah. I keep noticing there's this need to, like, roll our shoulders back and up and puff up our chest and act as if we're doing so well all the time. We've talked about that before. Totally. Yeah. Or forcing conversations that you don't really want to have or feeling like mm. you have to put on a smile and sit up straighter when the person you're trying to do good in front of enters the space. Mm-hmm. Like, I've noticed yeah. that now all the time with, like, casting director workshops, you know? It's like we're all sitting in the Zoom space and we're all like, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as the quote-unquote important person comes in, mm-hmm. everyone sits up and starts smiling. And I start looking around the Zoom boxes and I'm like, what are we doing? Like, why are yeah. we why yeah. are we playing this dumb game? Anyway, so now – this is such a long answer. Sorry. There's a lot to say about this. Mm-hmm. So now I've been thinking about this in relation to when I'll start teaching yoga because, as you two know, I have a pretty uh-huh. dirty fucking mouth. <laughs> And I've been given the impression that it's not cool to curse in the yoga space. But I'm like, well, if it's authentic to me and it happens, why not? If there are people that don't like it, they won't come back to my class. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that's who you are. Yeah. So, And they're coming to your class for you and what you are going to teach them and enlighten them with. I mean, the studio might not like me. So, like, that's a whole other thing. But... (laughs) Anyway, I've decided now that I'm on a journey to see what comes up when I'm trying to be as authentic as possible, even though I know that that's not going to be an easy ride. Yeah. Mariana? I'll just add one line that really struck me that I can relay it back to um, what Blythe is going through. Mm -hmm. And I could really sense her loneliness in everything Mm. that – especially like the few days after she did, in fact, give birth. Yeah. And she says, nobody talked about the feeling of being woken up after 40 minutes of sleep, blood-stained sheets with the dread of knowing what had to happen next. I felt like the only mother in the world who wouldn't survive it. And that just broke my heart. Yeah. Just being in that mindset and not being able to just talk to someone and be like, can you please? And not to bring up postpartum depression, but I can only imagine what these women go through. Well, it's a really – I mean, I think it is kind of valid to bring up actually because I think it was quickly mentioned in the book. And I had a question about that too when – Edda, who Cecilia's mother, was said to suffer from the nerves, I thought, is that postpartum? Because, again, I think that's another – that's in line with everything we're talking about. That's something that isn't talked about that often. And there's a lot of shame that comes with that. And and Mm -hmm. a lot of women have that for years before it's even diagnosed. And it really – it does a number on you. So, no, I think that's completely valid. It does a number on you on top of, oh, by the way, everything. you've got this baby everything now. Everything to take care right. of. Yeah, everything's different. 
I have to say, man, I was really annoyed. And maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about. But I was extremely annoyed with Fox for what little help he seems to have been in these early months. I mean, I get that he's working, but she's a mom at home with a baby. Like, she's working all day, too, if she has a newborn. Like, all she's doing is taking care of that baby. It just made me wonder how much they had discussed how this would go down. Or was she just so eager to, like be the good wife, like play the good wife, that she was just going along with this, Mm -hmm. thinking that it would be fine. Just every time she described being woken up in the morning and him sleeping heavily next to her, Mm -hmm. I wanted to punch him in the gut and be like, you need to get the fuck up and go feed that baby right now. You know, unfortunately, I think that's more common than... Than not. Than not. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think that it harks back to that old school mentality that the men go and work and the women stay home and take care of the yeah, kid. Yeah. And that's still ingrained in a lot of men's minds. And mm. I don't think that they look at being a stay-at-home mom as a full-time job like it is. Well, and, and, and to the point that most companies, if you're a working mom, the time that you get for maternity is far surpasses what a man right. would get for paternity. Mm-hmm. So in right. societal terms, Paterni- yeah. that's the paternity is really not... Mm-hmm. I think for Andrew... Before the pandemic, he was given three weeks total. I think things are changing slightly now because we don't know when he's going back to the office. So it's another silver lining of being pregnant during this time because he will be with me at least for the first few months. But I can't even imagine. And what time do you get? Do you know? What time do I get? But I don't work for a company. Well, I mean, you have – so you don't get maternal leave like with the – the jobs that you have? Oh, for because all of that is freelance. So I'm pretty much a, a, uh, a contractor for them. Well, that's so, fierce. So when it comes to, let's say, my bilingual interpreting, I haven't even really reached out. I am going to be reaching out now that I'm announcing all of this. But I take the jobs when I can. And mm-hmm. the same with Colombian NYU. So it's oh, pretty okay. much, it's solely relying on my schedule and now it's that's going to be really great because it really now it's going to rely on my schedule with the baby. Right. You can take as much time as you need. Yeah. Right. But it was also very interesting, like having conversations with my agents and managers where they were they're like, yeah, whatever, you you know, we're going to do whatever you need, whatever time you need to take off when you want to come back right. and we can submit you. Like, it's just that's how that's it great. works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's up to me whether I want to be booking stuff sooner than later, but... Right. It just made me really angry. Sorry to pivot back to the book. It just made me really angry that it seems <laughs> like... you apologizing to pivot back I to know. the book? Let's talk about the book. <laughs> this is a, a book club. <laughs> Sorry, this is a book Ish. club. I'm going to go back to the book. Um, no, it just made me really angry that it seems like in Fox's mind, it's totally cool if she's exhausted taking care of this baby, but it's totally not cool for him to be exhausted while he goes to this job, whatever it yeah. is. Like, what is that? And and the thought that he had this these expectations that everything had to be yeah. perfect, that he came from this perfect family. And she also felt like she was non-deserving of that. She was mm-hmm. undeserving of that. So it also bothered me in a way that she had to continuously prove herself to get her way, to be able yeah. to make things work, because that's kind of what, what he showed her, that if he she didn't do what he thought should be done, then she wouldn't be a whole woman to him or she yeah, or he wouldn't see judgment. her like that completely. Yeah. And that was a quote I wrote down from early on. We all expect to have and to marry 
and to be good mothers. There is mm-hmm. this expectation as women that from from people that are not us and, you know, from our partners and from mm-hmm. us that we are supposed to want that and that. And so I think that was a lot of Fox's mentality is it seemed when they were dating that she would be a really great mother. And so he was like, okay, well, so I'll give you my sperm. We'll make Mm -hmm. a kid and then Mm -hmm. you'll take care of it and it'll just be half mine. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he also seems to like on top of the shame and judgment that seems to come off of him sometimes, there also seems to be this expectation that she no longer lives for herself in a way. Like it seems like... The time when the baby's napping, when in her mind she's like, oh, I could be riding. He's like very quick to be like, no, no, you need to be napping while the baby's napping Mm -hmm. so that you can take care of her Mm -hmm. when she wakes up. It's almost like she becomes a Mm non-person. She's just now mom and caretaker to this child. Yeah. Well, that's a very scary thing that I think (laughs) about that was brought up so often in this book is once you have a kid – how does that change your relationship with your partner? Yeah. Because inevitably it has to. Yeah. And I have Agreed. this image in my mind that you have a baby and then it's like, oh, you're just both so blissfully in love and you're in awe over this thing that you made. But what about the other side of that? Like how do you work? You have to work as a team in such a different way mm-hmm. that that has to place pressure. Yeah. Completely. Even right now, Andrew and I planning for her to arrive and making all these changes. So we're actually ready and strong enough to face everything that we will be confronted with once she's here. It's scary and it's a struggle. And you have to kind of really work as a team and function, how she put it, that their operation functions, which I hope that that's not going to be where we end up. (laughs) But you kind of have to learn how to really co-parent. And I think both of you know having fur babies, like there's there's a lot of co-parenting involved. But knowing that now it's to this next level of like, will we still be the same to one another? Am I going to still be a whole woman to you? Like, mm. is all of that still going to be that, that initial co- connection and sexual attraction and that we're both – partners in this that Mm. not one person is gonna take precedence over the other all of Mm. that is something that you really have to be very clear with your partner and make sure that you kind of have a plan of how to just like look at each other and be like hey it's me we're here yes some guidelines we can do this together yeah (laughs) Yeah. we're in it together we're in it together yeah i actually have a question just for you mariana sorry brandy (laughs) that's cool since we have a mommy to be in this group if you're comfortable, <laughs> if you're comfortable answering this. Okay. So I'm curious because you and Andrew have been married for 10 whole freaking years, right? Almost ten year, in May. Almost 10 years. Yeah. Which oh. is amazing in itself. Which is insane. <laughs> it's yeah. beautiful. Like, <laughs> kudos. You. No, thank you. Yeah. So I'm wondering, again, if you're comfortable talking about it. How did your journey with Andrew unfold in terms of having those conversations about whether or not you wanted to have kids, when that might start being an option, et cetera? Did reading this book so far bring up any of those memories of what that journey has looked like for you two? Whoa. Yeah, 10 years. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, yes. We – 
We had so many conversations, I think from the get-go, about having children eventually, but it would always be, when will we actually be ready? It was always the what if of like, when, when, when will we be ready? We both want to be financially and professionally stable and we Mm. want to be established. And I also think that there was a hesitancy on Andrew's side that he never wanted to have children in the city. Ah. So there was always this kind of timeline on my end that he never posed on me, but it was just, I, I thought that if I were able to get to a certain point in my career, then at that point we could take to the huge move and move out of the city, but I would already be fulfilled enough professionally. So then it would kind of all make sense. And I get it. That's how he grew up. He grew up in suburbia. He wanted his child or his children, future children to be close to family Mm. because that's what he experienced. Yeah. But then as time passed, the more successful he became in his own job, which required him to stay in NYC, I then had the opportunity to continue continue pursuing my dreams. And it wasn't because he told me. It was because I wanted to do it for us and for our future. But lo and behold, when we actually needed the biggest sign, (laughs) when we were both needing (laughs) a change since we were both becoming more successful as a couple but not completely happy where, where our life was leading us, that's when we received the biggest sign of all. Mm. Oh, your baby and- girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank <laughs> And now we don't feel ready to leave NYC. Andrew and I had a conversation now that we moved into our new place. And he's like, well, you know, we're going to be here for a couple of years. But then, then what? And I can see also we're still learning from each other. We're still changing. Like this is, yeah, yeah. it's it's an, a lifetime of growing together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can sense that there's some now, there is a desire for him to possibly want to stay and that we're making things happen because we're doing it the way we want to. It's not like what yeah. anybody else expects, what our family wants. It's what we are now starting to really enjoy and nourish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting too that you're you're talking about like familial expectations mm-hmm. of what your life might have looked like, but it's also like your own expectations a little bit are changing or at least his are. Because it seems like he thought he would want to live the way he grew up. But his own expectations for how his life might look are starting to evolve, too, which is really cool. It's it's really amazing because we never imagined her. And now we can start imagining her. And she's kind of guiding us Mm. to kind of figure this thing called life out right? in a way. It's very strange. I've heard yeah. that once you have a baby, they become your biggest teacher. So you have and a I new- And I feel like she already is. A new guru. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, to pivot it back to the book, that reminds me, I want to know, what do you two think? Because I kept, I kept going back and forth wondering how much of Blythe actually wanted a baby Or did she really only want it to make Fox a dad and to prove something to herself that she would be better than her mom was? Where did you land on that? Did you think about that at all? I have to think that I don't think she had fully made the decision for herself whether or not she actually wanted a child. I think that I think that more of this was about Fox wanting a child. 
That's the sense I got too. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think that from the beginning of their relationship, she always felt lesser than because of her upbringing and because of what she had to face and the lack of the family connection. Right. That once she found Fox and where he came from, there was something in her that clicked that wanted to continue on that path. And then the fear set in that if she didn't do what she was supposed to do, then that would all fall apart and she would end up like her mom, like Cecilia or like Etta. Right. Well, that's something that I really wanted to ask you ladies about. And I feel like I'm like pre-apologetic about this question because it's it's really dark and and it makes me feel weird because you're pregnant, Mariana. But I'm also really curious about your answer. Okay. I really found myself identifying with Blythe in this first section of the book as she's struggling with being a new mom. It just brought up so many of the fears that I myself have had about the kind of mom I would be if I ever had kids. But the biggest one is that I would regret it and that I would Mm -hmm. leave. Mm -hmm. And I know people always say like, you wouldn't, it would get better. You'd love your baby too much to leave. But I feel like one of the things that's being explored in this book, like we said before, is whether or not there's a seed of the women who came before you implanted Mm -hmm. in you. We know Blythe's mom left Mm -hmm. And that seed definitely exists in women in my family. Mm -hmm. My dad was raised by my great-grandma, his grandma, Mm -hmm. because his mom left him Mm -hmm. and his brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. So I truly, in my core, feel that that seed exists in me. And I do think that if I had a baby, I would leave. Mm -hmm. I would not be happy. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what's your biggest fear Mm -hmm. when it comes to being a mom? And has this book dredged any of that up for you? Mariana, why don't you start with this one if you're comfortable <laughs> doing so? Um, oh, I didn't think it, this was going to happen. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Um, Take your time. Yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm actually glad you bring this up because it's better, again, to let these things out so you can really think about them. Um, but my biggest fear, even before baby girl came along. It's always been losing me, mm-hmm. losing, and this is what Blythe goes through, losing yeah. my independence and that my ambitions and my dreams would pretty much be a memory that that's no longer what's important. Mm-hmm. Feeling like a whole woman pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be fulfilled with just solely being a mom and therefore resenting motherhood and maybe Andrew. But this, again, it seems that this all comes from these expectations that were also set because of the way my mom was. Mm. My mom had me when she was very young and her sole priority was me. And she gave me every ounce of love, support, and understanding that she had to give. She just wanted for me to have everything that maybe she didn't get. Yeah. So that's still, I still want this baby girl to have everything, of course. And and it's, and it's, there's so much fear in everything that's happening and I'm overwhelmed with emotions. I mean, of course my hormones are going crazy, <laughs> but there's also the point of, I, I already feel so much love for her, mm-hmm. but the fear is also real. Yeah. 
And if I, I wrote something down that if she ever listens to this, I want her to know how much she's already loved by her mommy and by the many people who are who are out there. And I will promise not to give up on her and not to give up on myself or who I've strived to be or who I want to continue becoming. And I'm going to still aim for the stars. Like I'm not going to do that because yes. if I do that, then I'm not going to be the best mom right. that yeah. she can have. Yeah. I believe that. I believe you will. I know you will. I think even acknowledging that that's a fear already is work towards not mm-hmm. doing that. Do you know what yes. I mean? Towards yeah. not yes. giving up on that. Yeah. Wow. You're going to be a great mom. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, Brandy, I don't think you should apologize for asking this question because it's not necessarily dark. It's just real. No. And again, exactly. Like, exactly. this is something that I think a lot of us are afraid to talk about. And so I think yeah. the best thing to do is talk about it. My biggest fear is being in a constant state of fear that they'll badly injure themselves or something bad oh, could happen yes. once they mm-hmm. have the freedom to be on their own. Yeah. Like it's scary enough to have full responsibility for keeping them alive while they're young. I'm more scared for their adolescent years when they're going on dates and driving <laughs> and going to parties. Yeah. Yeah. Really, I guess what that is is not being able to protect them. I'm really yeah. scared about when I'm not able to protect them. Mm. And also, similarly to you, Mariana, I have this huge fear that I'll lose some of myself. Um, In regards to what you were saying, in regards to my career, for a moment, maybe, um, but also that I'll turn into that mom stereotype where I talk about my kids all the time and when my (laughs) husband and I have date nights, all we do is talk about the kids. kids. Yeah, you know, like I want to keep us alive as well. Yeah. And another a big part of my fear comes down to balance. I want to be able to work and keep taking care of myself while being around Mm -hmm. enough for them. I want to know how to balance letting them cry it out and give them space and mm-hmm. also hold them and calm them down. Just balance, balance, balance. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge aspect. And a lot of my new mom friends, that comes up all the time. I think that's a valid, it's a real, it's a struggle. <laughs> and probably mm-hmm. yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. My mom, when I was a kid, used to say all the time, she, was, she, uh, she said that since I was her first she would let me cry. She was like, crying is good for the lungs. That's what they said in her family. She's like, if you weren't hungry and you weren't wet, you cried. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always got the sense that that was her balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she had made her choice. If the if everything I can fix is okay, then you're fine and you're going <laughs> to cry and it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that reminds me, I thought a lot reading this book, sadly, of a family that I used to babysit. Hmm. Uh, the headphone moment with Blythe putting on the headphones really was kind of like a trigger because this family I babysat for, the parents were both working from home Hmm. and the mom really just did not want to hear her children. And she would put on a huge pair of headphones and just kind of detach and wow. part of me was like, well, you know what? She is working and she's paying me to be here to be with her kids. So, like, that's fair. Like, she should be able to work. Right. You know what I mean? But there was also always a part of me that was like, 
I don't know. I feel kind of bad like bringing this up now, but I kind of had this feeling that she just didn't want anything to do with her children. And I saw a lot of similarities to mm. that behavior and Blythe's behavior, you know? Like, because part of me at first, I was like, yeah, you know what? Let them cry. Like, she's, I'm sure she's fine. She's just crying. But then for it to go on for as long as it did, it, it takes a turn into something a little darker. Balance. You mean you're you're talking about for Blythe. Blythe, Blythe. Blythe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's so interesting hearing you both – well, hearing that story in particular, Emma, because that moment did break my heart about the headphones. Like, I can see where she's coming from, and mm-hmm. I can see where this mother that you were babysitting her kids for – like, I can see. Yeah. But as I told you two ladies before the podcast, before we started recording the podcast, that yesterday baby girl Panaro made her first appearance – <laughs> something like clicked in me where I'm like, oh my God, she's in there. I created a little person that that's then it's going to come out and she's going to be mm-hmm. my sole responsibility. Yeah. So don't I want to do everything in my power for her to be okay and to be fine? And if she cries, don't I want to pick her up and just like make her feel better? Mm-hmm. Like, well, didn't I want to do that all the time? Yeah. But on the flip side, I can see where they're coming from. Yeah, right. Like if they need their time, they need their time. It yeah. just, it's... I think it's it also gets struggle. really complicated, too, because I've de- I've also heard moms say um, that, you know, the baby then learns that if it cries, you will pick it up. So, right. you know what I mean? So if there's not actually something wrong, it, it's just a, it's just such a difficult, mm-hmm. you know, it's a tough it's a tough thing because then you're essentially training it to cry so that you will right. come get it, even though right. nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it, I don't know. I really felt for her in this moment because she doesn't have any help. It's not like her, it's not like she has a mom who's coming to stay with her. You know, his mom did provide some help initially. The night nurse. But I did very much get the the sense that, well, two things about this situation with his mom. I did get the sense that it's his mom and her interests in providing help are working in his favor a little bit. You know what I mean? I feel like if it if if I were Blythe and my mom had come, it would be like he needs to get up and help. Like he needs to be getting out of bed right. to go feed that kid yeah, twice exactly. a night or whatever it is. Exactly. Um but it's his mom who's providing the help. You know what I mean? And she has a vested interest in keeping her son happy probably. So it's just it's a, such a different thing and I think also Blythe never had she doesn't have an example. She doesn't know how this is supposed to go down. She doesn't have that support right she doesn't have somebody to tell her this is not normal this is normal this is what should be happening this is who should be helping this she has no idea yeah we really haven't talked much about that relationship of her with her mom and her mom's mom and how her mom's mom Mm -hmm. that history yeah Mm because that history is dark so dark and so sad. Um, yeah. That brought up a question I had, too. That relationship between Etta and Cecilia, so Blythe's mom and grandma, but also Etta and Henry, her husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so strange that Etta was so terrible with Cecilia, but then when Henry, her husband, came around, she would become calm. It was mm-hmm. like he made her feel safe. Did you pick up on that? Like, what What was that dynamic that she she 
as soon as Henry was there, she was okay. I thought it was a performance. I agree with that, Brandy. Yep. I think it's like when he's away, I hate this. Like, I think Mm -hmm. there's a piece of her that doesn't like being a mom and didn't want this child maybe or doesn't want this child now that that child's father is gone. Mm -hmm. But when Henry's there, she wants to play the part of mom and wife in a way that will seem acceptable to him. Picture perfect. Picture perfect family. Even though that's not what's really going on. No, at all. At all. Which this also with the whole the seed being planted from generation to generation, could this now be what Violet is starting to do as a baby, like being the perfect baby in front of in front of dad? Yes, and with mom. Yes, I'm. What was it? Cyclonic? Is that what she she quoted her like a? uh, There was there was something that she said. She's like cyclonic with me. It does seem like there is something about this baby. Am I wrong? Like, even once she's grown up a little bit, there's that moment when she's she's standing in front of the window when Blythe is in the car and she's she brings her little brother to the window so that Blythe can see. Mm-hmm. And she's kissing on her little brother in front of Blythe. There just seems to be something duplicitous Mm -hmm. about this little girl or something about her that seems to taunt, want to taunt Blythe Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. The way she was staring back at Blythe. Yeah. was very creepy to me. Yes. I mean, maybe she picks up on all of that negative energy from her mom, but also from when she was in her grandma's womb. Grandma's womb. Mm -hmm. Maybe she just like has this feeling that no one really wants her. Or her mom doesn't really want her, and that would give her cause to act out the way she does if she can feel that she's not loved the way that she needs not to wanted. be. Yeah, and that's where the fighting ensues. Like that's mm-hmm. they, at one point, Blight says that we're we're just exhausted of fighting each other. Right. Whew. I really appreciate how often this author highlights those uncomfortable i love the Mm -hmm. conversations between blythe with the quote-unquote the good moms and then the mom at the library and we brought up the mom at the cafe i loved when she said when blythe was bringing up to the group of other moms how motherhood is really hard and they're all like oh no it's just really rewarding and she says i studied these women closely trying to find their lies like she's like Mm -hmm. surely not all women can feel this way It made me think when I was working at Elvez, every Wednesday afternoon, we had this huge group of, we called them the stroller moms. It was the moms with their strollers. They all came in and we gave them the back like private dining room. We cleared everything out for them because there were so many strollers. (laughs) They would each have like one drink or like they would share a guacamole and it was just their time to like be with each other and their babies. We all bitched about it because we're like, oh, the stroller mom group. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe that would be kind of amazing, even if their conversations are not always about, oh, how amazing is your baby today? Well, my baby, you know, said mama for the first time. But actually to have a space with people that are going through what you are going through, so at least Mm -hmm. you can be a soundboard for what the fuck is going on. Right. Mm -hmm. But imagine being blithe in that group where everybody's pretending or genuinely like in love with motherhood and you're the only one who feels 
otherwise, yeah, that would be like, then you feel that there's actually something wrong with you. You feel there's something wrong with you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it reminds me, and I wanted to bring this up about our Betty from our first book. Oh, oh yes. Betty. When she became a mom, she struggled yeah. quite a bit right. because she didn't. She did not like taking her baby to to walk in the park. She even talked to her right. doctor and being like, how am I supposed to handle this? And he's just like, open the window and just look outside the park and just hold your baby. Right. That's all you can do because she didn't feel that motherly instinct. She didn't know. That connection. Which is also, I, I wanted to say, Brandy, when you were bringing up the whole um, generation aspect, Blythe never felt unconditional love. She never felt natural love. She didn't even, wasn't able to touch her mom. Like at one point she said, if I could at least touch her. So if that's what she grew up, if that's how she grew up, why would you expect something? How could you expect something more from her? Because she just doesn't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was so sad. One of the main themes that I felt right away from this book is this notion that once you marry, your spouse's family becomes your family and vice versa. There's a marriage of the two of you as individuals, but also of the whole generations of their family (laughs) with yours. Mm -hmm. For me personally, I really felt this in a way that I hadn't from just imagining it once I got married. Did either of you take into consideration your partner's family and their upbringing before you got married? Did you have any concerns about what this would look like or mean for your futures together? It's a touchy question. I don't know if your husbands are going to listen to this. You know what's funny is um, my answer is really short because, like, no, not really. Like, I, mm. I mean, we talked about each other's families just in, like, getting to know each other, but it was never a consideration really at all in like deciding to get married like I never even thought about what will that be like once we get married or any of that but Uh I do wonder if it's because we knew we weren't going to have kids and Mm -hmm. I feel like probably each other's families that becomes a much bigger deal once there are grandchildren Mm -hmm. involved do you feel that or was it different was the consideration different for you like even outside of having kids do you know what I mean yeah no it was different for me Interesting. But I think, all right, normally, like, I, the person who asks the question goes last, but now I guess I'll just go. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm asking you to clarify your question. <laughs> um, mine was, my, I felt that way in terms of how Ricardo would be. I, I guess mostly it comes down to, like, the values that were passed down to you because that's what's important to me in knowing, like, what are your values when it comes to mm-hmm. raising humans and a lot of that i think comes down to how you were raised so ricardo actually asked me a ton of questions about my parents like when we first started dating about my parents and how i was brought Mm -hmm. up because he was trying to scope out like to make sure there weren't any glaring red flags about Mm -hmm. me but i guess that's my point is like it was about kids like it those questions came in the interest of when we have kids, what will this be like? I don't think necessarily. No, I think it, a lot okay. of it was me. It was like he, I don't remember what the qualities were, but he flat out said, you know, like if your parents were like this, I would think twice about because it would mean wow. that you probably deep down 
felt that way too. Wow. Interesting. Which sounds really harsh. And it's especially because I, as an individual, am different than my parents. But Mm -hmm. actually, ever since he said that, I'm like, God, there are so many qualities of me, though, that are in my parents. Mm. So I'm like, I actually get it. Like, I see what I see what you're talking about. Interesting. You know, I thought about it with my ex. I used to think about all the time, like, if we got married, when my family would meet his family, or even just at the wedding, how awkward and uncomfortable it would be (laughs) because our families are so different. And I used to always say Mm. to myself, well, that doesn't matter because I'm not marrying his family. Like, I'm marrying, I would marry him. But I think in a way, it kind of and and maybe it maybe you're right. Maybe it does come down to if and when you have kids. But that was always like a really huge concern of mine. Mm. I can actually see it both ways. I can see if for you and you, Emma and Ricardo, because you guys met later on in life, that I could see why he was kind of posing those questions to you because he was ready for the next step. Mm. He wasn't there mm. to play around, and especially because. You guys were in two different countries. <laughs> right. You That's guys need true. to. I think that was a big part to, of it. Am I going to move across the ocean for you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah for yeah, you. Yeah. Is this right. worth my time and effort right, right, to right. really dive in to something? And then for Brandy, I could see like it's more if you guys didn't necessarily want kids, like families, yes, they're a part of you, but they're not you. You guys right. are your individuals mm-hmm. and you fell in love with one another. Right. Because when Andrew and I got together, we were so young that it was really just about us. And it was kind of like that infatuation and that connection that we kind of built off on. Right. It was not until I, I, well, when he met my parents first, but when I went to meet his mom and dad, Nancy and Larry, I then started seeing how different we truly were because I really saw where he was raised and how his family behaved in a good way. But New England is very different from Miami, which is a city yeah. pretty much part of Latin America instead of being of the United right. States. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just, it was, I could see all the differences, but all those differences are what make us complement each other. Because mm. we are so different and we were raised so differently, but I think that's what really helps and what's allowed us to be, not allowed us, but given us more ammunition to continue a relationship for so long because we're still discovering one another. We're still yeah. we're still yeah. learning from each other every single day. Mm. I don't think my mother-in-law listens to this podcast, but um <laughs> we might have to cut this. <laughs> you better be careful. <laughs> and I'll definitely ask Andrew when he when um after we finish recording if we can really air this. But when I first met Nancy it maybe was two hours after meeting her when we were in their house. She turns around to me and she's like, why are you with him? But she didn't do it in kind of like a derogatory way to him. It was more of like, well, kind of, yeah, it was more to him (laughs) because she was like, you're so sophisticated and you're just so different and you're Latina and you're, you're, you know, you're in the arts and, what do you see in Andrew? It was just like she she was trying to really investigate where that luck connection came from or where was that connection in general. Yeah. And I remember her being so red in the face when she said it because she like caught herself in the middle of it. She's like, well, 
Welcome to the family. Pretty much, we couldn't take it back. But I think she will never forget that moment. It was like one of the first things she ever said to me. She was just trying to figure out what what it was what it was but i think <laughs> well, she it, also yeah. was just like giving you a huge compliment Give by just sure, being like sure. you're so great <laughs> what do you yeah. see in my shit what are you son? doing what yeah. are you doing with my son <laughs> just oh, kidding we love yeah. andrew no yes. yeah yeah for us it was never yeah it was never about the kids like it was it was always about like we love each other we're gonna figure this thing out but we we soon realized that our families were very different but they now are obsessed with each other so oh we like so that in that department yeah. Yeah. That's so cute. I just want to say one more quick little thing. I'm just curious, after reading this week's chapters, did either of you get a sense of what might happen to make Fox leave Blythe and take the baby with him? Do you have any hints of a clue of something? Again, I can't answer this because I didn't know that that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that I know, now that if we're going on this route with what happened in the beginning, no, I, I do think that there's, she continues, she maybe leaves the baby alone at home at some point or like does something. You think she does something to the baby? Yeah, yeah. I think something bad is going to go down. Yeah. I'm on a similar I'm going to lay down my theory. Uh-huh. I'm going to lay down my theory. <laughs> Do okay. it. I think the push, the title, mm-hmm. you know, you're meant to sort of think it's about pushing a baby out. But I'm wondering if it could be referring to either Blythe pushing her daughter at some point and Fox seeing it, like this little act of almost violence and him uh-huh. being like, nope. Mm-hmm. Or could it be the daughter pushes Blythe? And injures her or something, and then Fox doesn't believe it, and that causes him to be like, we're getting out of here. That's interesting. Hmm. That's my little nugget of something. That is an interesting choice that the daughter would do something to her. There's something about this fucking daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something odd about her. Well... Ladies, I don't want to end this episode, but I think I it's about time. Okay. <laughs> Our happy hours soon <laughs> to be over. Happy. But I do have a final, the final question. Oh, yeah. Lay it on us. Final question. <laughs> Blythe mentions how Fox loved tracing his name on her back when they mm. were first dating back in college. And this was one of the many things he loved about her. Now, for you, ladies. What's one thing that your gentleman did that made you soon when you first started dating? Um, honestly, the first thing that came to mind was how he was with his dog. Aww. I loved watching him with her, the mm-hmm. way he talked about her to her, just the way he walked her. I was like, that's a sexy man. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so sweet. He did other things for me too, but that's the first thing that came to mind. mm. The first thing for me was uh, Jason just like, we're just always laughing together. Mm -hmm. And he made me laugh and it wasn't like, you know, sometimes guys will try to make you laugh and you laugh to be polite or something. It was never like that. Like every time he made me laugh, it was just a genuine like, 
this guy's hilarious <laughs> and it's easy. And like even now, we wake up every morning within five minutes of being awake. We're laughing. <laughs> it's just, That's amazing. It's for me. Similarly, Brandy, the laughter is so important in a relationship, I think. But for me was when Andrew, he would always make me feel like a kid from the get-go. Mm. Like I felt like such a kid. Like I <laughs> felt like I was like playing again. I can um, see that. Not taking myself too seriously. So I think he yeah. brought out this the best side in me. Aww. And I think that just made me gravitate to him a lot quicker Aww. than I ever thought I would. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys. <laughs> it's over? We're married no, to great just guys. Just part one. We are. <laughs> we'll be back. We are married to great men. All right, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. Do you know what the hell is going on in this book? Because we don't. Yeah, we have no Emma, especially has no question. I'm reading another book. If you have a juicy theory about what's happening, shoot us an email at rthesebooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment. Yes, because again, we are an open book and we'd love to answer one of your probing questions. Whatever you're dying to ask us, three amigas, please just ask. Or why not answer one of our final questions? Ooh, yeah. Better yet, why don't you ask us a question about a previous episode and then we can follow up on another Thirsty Thursday throwback? Yeah, send them over. Heads up. This is our last book until June. Oh, you scared me. I know. Yes, it is true. We are taking a what break for the month of May so that we can come back for y'all in full swing, rested and ready. But for now, next week, we'll be reading to the end of chapter 44. Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail and mocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always happy happy hour here. Love you, ladies. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.